أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وبه نستعين وصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وبعد Welcome to another session الحاضرون أو الحاضر to another session of the Burda of Imam al-Busayri رحمة الله عليه We are currently in the chapter of jihad of his jihad صلى الله عليه وسلم which is chapter 8 and we said about these chapters that these chapters were introduced later on. Uh, they weren't introduced by Imam al-Busaydi per se, but because of the nazm of the poem itself and the way and the order in which it was written, uh, this the chapter headings were put in place um, in order to uh, separate uh, groups of verses from the poem uh, to others. Uh, so last week we went through uh, a sizable portion of this chapter and we find ourselves uh, in verse number 127. Where Imam Busaydi rahmatullahi alayhi is still currently describing the jihad of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the jihad, jihad of the Sahaba uh, around him radhanallahi alayhim in their courage uh, and in their ability to uh, fight firmly for what they believe in and are willing to lay down their lives uh, in order to defend um, uh, that which uh, they, uh, they believe in. Um, so here the Prophet uh, uh, Imam Busaydi rahmatullahi alayhi uh, is describing um, uh, the their uh, their might and their courage in battle. So he says, "Humul jibadu fasal anhum masadimahum, fusulu hatfin lahum adha min al wakhmi." Humul jibalu fasal anhum masadimahum. Oh, sorry. Humul jibalu fasal anhum masadimahum. Maza laki min humu fi kulli mustadami. Humul jibalu fasal anhum masadimahum. مَاذَا لَقِي مِنْهُمْ فِي كُلِّ مُسْتَضَمِي They are the mountains. هُمُ الْجِبَالِ They are the mountains. So ask about them, their battle folk. At every battle, the things from them that they used to see. هُمُ الْجِبَالِ They, the Sahaba رضوان الله عليهم, including the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, are the mountains. Or like the mountains. In, in, in the sense that they are uh, firmly rooted and firmly fixed in what they believe in. Right? We understand that the mountains are... Uh, sizable objects and immovable, immovable. Um, just like that the Sahaba عليهم, were sizable in terms of their Iman the Iman was strong it was uh, all-encompassing uh, it was firmly fixed and firmly rooted in their hearts and it was immovable it was not going to move no amount of fear no amount of propaganda no amount of tactics on the battlefield and outside of the battlefield was ever going to overcome them uh, from from that belief so, humul jibal. Fasal anhum masadimahum. So, ask. Sal. Sal comes from the word sa'ala. Is'al. The hamza of the verb has been omitted and the haraka of the hamza was moved to the scene. So, it becomes sal. Fasal anhum. So, ask anhum about them. Masadimahum. Masadimahum comes from the word sadama. Sadama means uh, to when two things collide together. That is istidam. Right? Sadama. Wa alaikum salam. So, not an accident, not by accident. Uh, it can be by purpose also. Uh, but it's just when two things collide together, that's called as-sadam. Right? Um, so, uh, and obviously what's meant by this is ask them their foe that met them in battle. Right? And if you think about the musadim, musadim is the thing that crashes into something else. Right? So you have the mountain that is immovable, that doesn't move, that is firmly fixed in the ground. And you have these uh, disbelievers, the enemies of the believers that are crashing against this mountain. The mountain doesn't move, the mountain stays fixed, but the foes, when they crash against them, they crumble at the, at the foot of that mountain. 
So Imam Abu Sayyidi is uh, saying that ask the foes, Mada Laki, what did they meet on the battlefield? Minhum from these people, from these from these mountains, from these, from the Sahaba Fikulli Mustadami in every point that they met. Right? So they attacked from the north, they attacked from the east, attacked from the south. Right? From every angle they tried to attack the believers on the battlefield, off the battlefield. Every time they tried to attack the, the, the believers, it was as if it was trying to throw rocks at a mountain in order to cause it to crumble. Right? Impossible. So uh, then he goes on to uh, describe this in a little bit more detail, where he says in verse number 128, And ask Hunayn, and ask Badr, and even ask Uhud too, events of death for them worse than plague in catastrophe. So the question was for the mountains, right? فَسَلْ عَنْهُمْ مَصَادِمَهُمْ Like those, those uh, disbelievers, the enemies of the believers that crashed against these mountains. Ask also Hunayn. Hunayn obviously was the, the valley uh, between Mecca and Ta'if uh, where the battle took place uh, between some of the Qaba'il after the conquest of Mecca, right? So in the year 8 after the Hijrah. Uh, Mecca has just been uh, taken over by the Muslims and it's returned to uh, Iman. Uh, the... Um, uh, some of the uh, surrounding tribes uh, wished to attack Mecca as a result of the Muslims taking over in sort of like a last ditch effort in order to take control and seize control of Mecca. Um, and uh, they, they meet in the Battle of, uh, of Hunayn. And Hunayn is a valley between Mecca and Ta'if and is surrounded by mountains, right? So it's surrounded by mountains in terms of the battlefield, but also the Sahaba alayhim in terms of their, uh, their strength and their resolve. Wasal Badran, and obviously Badr, we know the valley of Badr. Uh, the famous battle that took place in the uh, uh, second year uh, or the first year of the Hijrah um, where the two armies met uh, and it was Sudfatan, uh, like uh, it wasn't actually planned uh, it was a, a surprise battle the Muslims went out to uh, attack the caravan of Abu Sufyan uh, the, he took the, the he didn't take the caravan route he took another route that went around Medina uh, towards the Red Sea uh, and uh, through there was the, uh, the Valley of Badr um, and that's where uh, the two armies met uh, in that valley and that valley is surrounded also by mountains uh, and then you have Wasal uh, Uhuda and Uhud obviously is that mountain and it was called uh, uh, sorry it was uh, the, the, the place of the famous battle in the second year of the Hijrah uh, between uh, the Muslims and um, the Mushrikun when they attacked uh, Medina after Badr uh, in order to seek revenge uh, this, uh, and obviously Uhud is the name of the mountain that is situated just outside of Medina and it's called Uhud because it is, um, so just on the north of Medina you have loads and loads of mountains and you have like sort of like almost rows of mountains going up towards the north and then you have a, a sort of a valley, not even a valley, it's like a quite a large gap and then you have one lone mountain uh, called Uhud between Mecca and those, uh, between Medina and the other mountains. So that's why it was called Uhud because it was Wahid, Ahad, it was on its own. Yeah? So obviously that is where uh, another famous battle took place. So it's almost like he is describing the Sahaba to be, uh, to be just like mountains. And just as they were mountains in terms of their Iman, they fought battles that were risking their lives in places and in valleys where mountains surrounded them. Right? So it was mountains with mountains, strength upon strength. Nurun ala nur. فُصُولُ حَتْفٍ لَهُمْ أَدْهَا مِنَ الْوَخَمِ That uh, ask these places, right? سَلْحُ نَيْنًا And Imam Busayri is 
sort of requesting you to ask Hunayn. It's almost as if you are asking the valley of Hunayn, the mountains that surround Hunayn. Uh, you are asking Badr. You are asking the, the valley of Badr and the mountains that surround uh, Al-Badr. You are asking uh, Uhud and the mountain of Uhud. Why would you ask something that doesn't speak and has no intellect and cannot converse with you? Right? It's like asking a brick wall. This is taken from the Quran, the, the Quranic epistemology, right? Was'alil Qariya, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he asks uh, or he tells or commands um, uh, those who are listening to ask the, ask the town. And the town is obviously the walls and the buildings and the ground and the earth and, and the surrounding area. That's the town. But because of the, um, uh, the attachment that the events have to that particular place, it is almost as if the place itself, with its buildings, with its uh, walls and with its, uh, uh, on, on the earth itself, it is almost as if they are witnesses to the event actually taking place. Right? So just like that, because of the intensity of the event and because the event was so uh, pivotal uh, in the lives of the Muslims, uh, and because it's had, it was it, such a memorable occasion, it is almost as if that the people, not only the people remember, but the very place itself, and the mountains itself, and the valleys itself in that place, they also remember. So when it says, it's not asking you to actually ask the mountains, but because of the, it's a metaphoric uh, kind of thing, because of the, uh, the uh, connection that the events have to that particular place, it is almost as if those very mountains are witnesses to what took place there. Fusulu uh, Hatfin and what took place there? Fusulu Hatfin, right? So many different types of death. <laughs> Subhanallah. Fusulu Hatfin, lahum adha min al and these types of death were worse than a plague or a pandemic uh, that struck, right? Adha, adha meaning like even more severe, right? adha wa amar, that the yawm al qiyamah is going to be even more severe and even more uh, bitter. Um, to to experience. لهم أدها من الوخم وخم is a, uh, a pandemic or a plague um, uh, that uh, befalls the people. Then he goes on to say in verse number one twenty nine, البيض حمرا بعد ما وردت من العدا كل مسود من اللمم. المصدر البيض حمرا بعد ما وردت من العدا كل مسود من اللمم. Returning white blades now turn crimson after they reach the fighters with flowing hair of black from the enemy. So here, uh, Imam Busayri rahmatullahi alayhi is describing the weapons of the believers. They go when they go to battle, the weapons are glistening white. Right? Uh, if the sun was to uh, touch the blade, the sun would uh, glitter and glisten as a result of the clarity of the blade. But when they come back from ba battle, these very same blades that were once white are now crimson with the blood of their, of their enemy. And not only that, uh, 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 they are, um, uh, after, the, after, the, after these very blades, exactly. after these very blades, they reached the Muswadim min al uh, the the black hair uh, of the enemy and limam here uh, so sha'ar is the word for hair right that's that's the word for hair but limam is the hair that that grows from the top of your head and it reaches to the uh, bottom of your earlobes here this from from your hair your hair from this part of your your body here from your earlobe to your shoulder this is called limam right so he's saying that the swords came back crimson right and elements of black were on it as a result of the, the hair of the of the enemy. 
So it's almost as if Imam Busaidi is saying that their weapons, they took their weapons and they, they struck, they were so precise with, and, uh, with their, in terms of the precision of their striking that they struck the necks of every, uh, every one of their foes, right? Because that's the, that's the place of the, the uh, of Lima. Al-Mustir al-Bida humran ba'dama waradat min al-Ida kulla muswaddin min al-Limami And obviously that is describing uh, the, the, the strength and the resolve and their uh, skill in battle of the of the believers. They weren't just you know haphazard shepherds or or, or tradesmen or all these sorts of people. They were uh, well trained in 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 the uh, uh, in the affairs of battle. والكاتبين بسمر الخط ما تركت أقلامهم حرف جسم غير منعجمي. And they inscribed with spears of lettering their pens, and they didn't leave a body line with undotted I and they crossed every T. And what this means is that الكاتبين بسمر الخط ما تركت أقلامهم حرف جسم غير منعجمي. That it's almost it's almost as if their weapons were like pens, and the pens were writing with red ink. بسمر الخط ما تركت أقلامهم. These pens of theirs that were their weapons, they didn't leave حرف جسم any body that was there on the battlefield. غير منعجمي without any dot or line that defined it. Because you know in the Arabic language we have uh, letters and some letters have dots at the bottom like ba. Uh, some letters have dots on the top like ta. Some letters have two dots. Some letters have three dots. Some letters look a certain way, right? Some letters have like a, a circular element to it, right? Some letters are a line like that. So this is uh, uh, this is called uh, al-khat, right? This is the khat of the Arabic language. So it's almost as if Imam Busaidi is saying that there was no body that was left on the battlefield except that it had received a dot or a line from the weapons of the uh, of the believers. Then he goes on to say in 131, With sharpened weapons, they had a mark uh, to set them apart a rose, uh, just as a rose is uh, is uh, set apart by its mark uh, from a thorny tree. Shaki silahi lahum sima to meyuzuhum. So uh, they have uh, sharpened their weapons. Shaki uh, uh, almost means uh, um, uh, a completeness uh, with regards to their weapons. The weapons were complete. There was no blemish in their weapons. There was no notch in their blades. Uh, their blades weren't dull or blunt. Rather, they were sharpened. And they were ready to go for battle. So shaki silahi lahum sima to meyuzuhum. Lahum sima sima meaning they have alamat, they have signs, they have marks upon them that set them apart. And these marks are obviously um, uh, either the marks of blood uh, from previous battles, um, or uh, they are marks that are uh, uh, sort of they wrap around the uh, the handle to to represent that they are uh, fighters of the Muslims, like a white sort of like a uh, a white bit of cloth on the handle of there. Um, uh, of the weapons or upon the spears so they used to have long spears and at the top of the spear they would tie a white cloth and they, that would show that they, this is the spear of, a, uh, of the Muslim so when they're fighting in battle they can see where the Muslims are from where, they, where the disbelievers are or where the enemies are uh, so uh, and then he, uh, he, he gives a, uh, a metaphor uh, of what that looks like just as the uh, rose flower 
it is differentiated with regards uh, to its um, uh, uh, with its flower from a thorny tree. So you have a tree that has thorns on it. Yeah, pray. Uh, you have uh, trees that have thorns on it, and you also have um, uh, a rose that has thorns on it. Right? What's the difference between the rose and the thorny tree? It's that flower that's on, on the top of it. That's what you can tell uh, the difference between uh, the flower and just another thorny bush. What he's saying here is that uh, both the mushrikun, uh, the enemies of the believers and the believers, they both brought their weapons to the battlefield. Right? The Muslims, they have their swords and their spears and their shields. And the disbelievers and their enemies, they also have swords and spears and shields. But what sets them apart is that the, um, the, the, the Muslims, they have marks upon their swords from previous battles, marks of red, right? Just like the rose is on top of the thorny uh, stem that is also red uh, in color. Then he goes on to say in 132, تُهْدِي إِلَيْكَ رِيَاحُ النَّصْرِ نَشْرَهُمُ فَتَحْسِبُ الزَّهْرَ فِي الْأَكْمَامِ كُلَّ كَمِينَ So uh, um, the victory winds convey to you the sweet news of them so flowers in bloom you'd reckon every soldier to be. So تُهْدِي إِلَيْكَ رِيَاحُ النَّصْرِ نَشْرَهُمُ It's almost as if uh, the winds of victory bring the, the smell uh, of, 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 of battle to you. تُهْدِي إِلَيْكَ رِيَاحُ النَّصْرِ نَشْرَهُمُ So uh, the, yeah, the smell of, of the battlefield is brought to those who aren't on the battlefield and they can smell the success of the, uh, of the believers. فَتَحْسِبُ الزَّهْرَ فِي الْأَكْمَامِ كُلَّكَمِ So you reckon uh, that every soldier on the battlefield is like a flower that has this scent of, uh, of battle on him. Right? Uh, and it's, a, it's a building on the metaphor uh, previously stated. Um, then he goes on to say in uh, 134, uh, oh sorry, no, 133. Uh, they were in horseback like firmly rooted plants upon hills, from grit so solid, not girth of saddle held solidly. What he's saying here is he, he brings a, a, a simile uh, to what the uh, believers look like on the battlefield. So he's saying that that It is as if as they are upon their horses and upon their camels riding They are like نبتروبان. They are like those trees and plants that grow on the top of a hill And those trees and plants that grow on the top of a hill What sets them apart is that they, are, they have very deep roots that are firmly fixed in the ground Because in order for a plant to grow on a hilltop It needs to have deeper roots than a a tree or a plant that grows on flat land so it's almost as if their iman was deeply rooted uh, in this soil um, and it's as if they were deeply rooted or deeply sort of fixed upon the backs of their horses just as as if the plants and trees were firmly fixed on the tops of the hill uh, just like that uh, on the on the backs of the horses and the backs of the camels the uh, believers were firmly fixed and this f uh, this fixation that they had on the backs of their horses min shiddatil hazmi la min shiddatil huzmi this was from their grit and determination not because of the belt or the rope that they they would tie in order to fix themselves upon their saddles right so you know you have the saddle that goes around the back of the of the horse and there's a, a it's called a girth that you uh, you tie it with right and the uh, as much as that is tightened that's how firmly fixed the saddle is going to be if it's loose then the saddle will Will, will shake and will fall off the back of the horse. So he's saying 
Imam Busayri rahmatullahi alayhi is saying that the mu'minun, the believers on the battlefield, they were firmly fixed and firmly rooted upon their horses. Not because of the belt or the girth that tied them to the horse, rather because of their grit and determination. So that even if there was no saddle, even if there was no belt, they would still be riding on their horses, uh, firmly fixed uh, upon them. Uh, this is a metaphor that is found in the Quran also. مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ يُنْفِقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمُ بِتِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ اللَّهِ وَتَثْبِيتًا مِنْ أَنفُسِهِمْ كَمَثَلِ جَنَّةٍ بِرَبْوَةٍ أَصَابَهَا وَابِلٌ فَآتَتْ أُكُلَهَا الضِّعْفَيْنِ وَإِنْ لَمْ يُصِبَهَا وَابِلٌ فَطَلْ وَاللَّهُ مَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ In this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing the, uh, um, uh, the believers with regards to when they give in sadaqah those who spend in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hoping for uh, his mercy hoping for his pleasure and hoping for his mercy and as a result of their own uh, sort of tasbit, uh, their own uh, firm belief that this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from them and this is how to get the pleasure and love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by spending in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and spending from that which uh, they love and they cherish and they covet. Um, the example of those who do that, they spend with regards in what they love and cherish, the example of them is that of uh, those plants that grow on the top of a hill. Jannatin right? bi Right? A jannah, a garden, a garden has plants, it has trees, it has all these other beautiful things in it. This garden is, grows upon, uh, upon a hill. If uh, heavy rain was to befall it, فَآتَتْ أُكُلَهَا الْضِعْفَيْنِ It would give off fruits twice, twice over. Right? It would double its fruits. And even if only a small amount of rain, like a small shower, a small little sprinkle of rain was to fall upon this garden, it would be enough in order to nourish it. وَاللَّهُ بِصِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ uh, the, the, the parable here is basically saying that whenever there is uh, an example of rain being mentioned in the Quran it is always with regards to receiving revelation, receiving khair because there's nothing that comes from rain except abundant good rain is what allows crops to grow, rain is what allows you to, to drink water and sustain yourself and so on and so forth right? وَجَعَلْنَا مِنَ الْمَاءِ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ حَيْءٍ and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created all things from water so water is the sustenance of life so when rain falls, it's, uh, when, when rain is mentioned in the Quran it's always about abundant khair and there's nothing better and there's nothing more that khair than the wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran itself right? uh, so more often than not, metaphorically, uh, uh, rain is used for, uh, for, for wahi so when wahi comes down, the believers who give in for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, hoping for his pleasure, hoping for his love, and so that they can firmly establish themselves in the deen, when revelation comes to them, and when they are exposed to the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are quick to adopt it. They are quick to understand it. Right? They are uh, quick to accept it, and they don't reject it. They don't ask, uh, what's going on here? I don't understand it, so it mustn't be true, and so on and so forth. No, they have a different perspective with regards to the Qur'an. Right? And the, the, the meanings of the Qur'an open up to them as they are reading it. Whereas the one who doesn't do this, the one who doesn't give uh, in, uh, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who doesn't hope in the pleasure of Allah and the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recited to him, it doesn't have that same effect. It's not uh, absorbed. It's not adopted. The characteristics that are mentioned in the Qur'an aren't then 
applied and established in that person's life, right? Even if, even though they listen to the Quran and they hear the Quran, right? But it falls on as if it falls on deaf ears. They hear it, but they can't internalize it. Whereas the one who gives for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala internalizes it and also uh, establishes, it, establishes it in his life. And then thus he is able to guide others. The Dirfain here is that the ukul is the fruits of his own actions and the actions that he is able to impart and give to others. So others are guided through his actions. Right? That's And even if he only receives a small amount of revelation, right? Tal meaning like a small little sprinkle of rain. Even if it's just a sprinkle of rain, one ayah, two ayah, doesn't read much Quran today. Maybe listens to the Quran just like on a uh, on his phone or something like that. That is still enough for him to uh, increase in his iman and be firmly uh, sort of fixed uh, with regards to his iman and establish those characteristics and those actions still. Right? Whereas the one who doesn't give uh, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa taala, hoping in his mercy, hoping in his pleasure, hoping in his love, for this person, uh, whether he listens to it a lot or he listens to it only a little bit, it's the same. Right? There's no change in his action. So Imam Busaidi here is uh, taking that parable from the from that particular ayah. Then he goes on to say in verse number one hundred thirty-four, The enemy's hearts uh, were fluttered in fear of their force, yani the force of the uh, of the Muslims, unable to tell a lamb apart from brave cavalry. Right. So uh, Tara meaning to fly. Right. Uh, their hearts, uh, the enemy, right? So the, the, the hearts of the enemy is almost, it flutters away. As soon as they see the, uh, the Muslims coming in battle, their courage and their resolve and their grit and determination, all of that just disappears. They don't have it anymore. So, from the uh, severity of what the believers have come with in battle, right? Their strength and their determination. So you're not able to tell apart the lamb from the brave, brave cavalry. So when you see, when you see uh, uh, the disbelievers running in battle, when you see the, the courage leaving their hearts, right? Uh, you won't be able to tell apart the cavalrymen from amongst them from a lamb that is uh, ready for slaughter. Uh, quite a vivid uh, image that Imam Sayyidi is, is, is picturing. Uh, and this is this is true, right? Uh, so Umayyad ibn Wahab, anhu, at the time of this uh, incident, he was a disbeliever, he was a mushrik, right? Um, and uh, when the Battle of Badr uh, first started, he was commissioned to spy on the believers, right? So when they got got, got to the Valley of Badr, then the mushrikun they they came uh, sort of uh, just after. Uh, the Muslims arrived at the valley uh, and um, uh, they caught wind that the Muslims were already there and they had taken control of the Abar, the, uh, um, uh, the wells uh, that were there in, um, in Badr. Uh, so there was a conversation that took place amongst the Mushrikun as to whether they should advance or whether they should uh, camp out or whether they should return. So they said, let's ascertain their numbers. So they sent Umayyad ibn Wahab to go and check out their numbers. So he went and he spied on the Muslims and uh, he got their numbers and he came back to the Mushrikun. And so the Mushrikun, like uh, Abu Jahl was there, um, uh, 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 and all of the head, other heads of Quraysh were there, uh, Abu, uh, Abu Sufyan uh, when he was uh, a Mushrik as well, and all these other guys that were there as well. And that's the what did you see? So Umayyad ibn Wahab, he turns around and he says, uh, I saw that they are around about 300 
um, uh, roughly, you know, give or take. Maybe a little bit more, might be a little bit less. And then he pauses for a second, and then he goes on to say, "Lakini ra'aytu al-manaya tahmilu al-balaya." That or ra'aytu al-balaya tahmilu al-manaya. However, I saw that um, they are men who are, they are men who have come with destruction, and they are carrying with them their death. Meaning that they have like no fear, there is no uh, worry in their eyes, there is no uh, love of this world left in them, there is no hope and longing of I want to stick around here and I want to save myself. They have come and they have come in order to give their lives. And he says, I don't see um, any one of you killing them except that they kill uh, one of you. And if there are 300 of us that pass away, including them, then there is no khair. Uh, after this day Meaning that Obviously the Muslims They were part of Quraysh as well right? They were the family members Of the people who were back, uh, fighting them So if they kill them And every one of the Muslims Kills them That means 300 of the thousand Of the Mushrikun That arrived at Badr Were going to die That means 600 of the people of Quraysh Roughly 600 Because there were some Ansar from the, from, uh, Amongst the Muslims But roughly about 600 Of the, uh, of the Quraysh Would have been uh, Slaughtered on that day and 600 people from the tribe of Quraysh being uh, killed is not a, uh, not a good thing. So they recognize this, right? And when Umar ibn Wahab said this, Abu Jahl turns around to him and says, uh, <laughs> he's like, shut your mouth. Ikhsa. <laughs> lisanak. Like, be quiet. Shut your mouth. And then the other guy, one of the other heads of Quraysh, um, I think it was Mughira, um, uh, or Walid ibn Mughira, I think turns around to him and says, leave him alone. He's only describing what he saw. And so Abu Jahl turns around and says, uh, <laughs> He didn't see with um, his eyes. Rather, he saw with his cowardice. <laughs> the point is, the point of the story is that Umayyad ibn Wahhab, he saw the resolve and the grit and determination of the of the believers and he recognized in them that these guys didn't come to play they didn't come in order to um, establish their dominance they didn't come for anything from the dunya they came for something else and this something else is not you know is not tangible it's not able to be uh, sort of acquired uh, through one's own actions this is something within their hearts right and that's obviously him describing the iman uh, and he didn't, couldn't find a better way to describe their iman except through uh, the way that he said so So he is one of those that when he saw them like this, his heart fluttered and it's almost as if the courage left, uh, left his heart. Then uh, Imam Busayr rahimahullah goes on to say in verse number 135, Whoever is aided by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if lions meet him inside their den, they bow silently. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَنْ تَكُنْ بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ نُصْرَتُهُ إِنْ تَلْقَهُ الْأُسْتُ فِي آجَامِهَا تَجِمِ وَمَنْ تَكُنْ بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ نُصْرَتُهُ Nusra obviously means victory, coming to your aid, coming to your service. So whoever the, the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam comes to his aid and comes to his victory and comes to his service. Whoever the, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is coming to serve. Ajeeb, right? SubhanAllah. He's coming to defend. Whoever this person is, even if this person was to go into the den of a lion, the most dangerous place that you could possibly be, right? 
and I think I, I've told you guys the story of when I went to the zoo, right, and I saw the lion coming towards me and <laughs> took my, stole my heart away. Most dangerous place that you can be in, right? Uh, just because of the predatory nature of a lion, he's not going to show any mercy, he's not going to show any compassion, it's going to be just raw, rip you apart, and, you know, even if he doesn't eat you, he's just going to kill you for game. <laughs> so even if you were to be in his den, and obviously his den is the place where the the uh, the lion cubs are is going to be the place where he is going to be most defensive. If you meet him outside when he's on a hunt, if you meet him somewhere else far away, right in the middle of the plains, he might not bother bother with you, right? Because it's far away from his yeah, it's far away from his territory, right? But if you are in the midst of his territory, not just in the midst of his territory, but in the heart of his territory, with his cubs, yeah, you're dead, you're dead, right? But the, uh, uh, Imam Busayr rahimahullah is saying that even if you were to be in this place, and obviously this is metaphoric, right? not physical, because like, if you were in this place, you'll still get eaten alive. But metaphoric, even if you were in the most severe of places, but the Prophet sallam, came to your aid, even the most ferocious of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bow down in humility and in uh, recognition of the mastery of the Prophet sallam. No one's going to mess with the Prophet sallam. And this is what it was like uh, on the battlefield, right? Uh, you would find in, and there's so many instances, right? Have you noticed that the Prophet ﷺ would find himself alone in battle, or with just a handful of Sahaba, and the rest of the Sahaba would run away, like uh, in the uh, Battle of uh, Tabuk and in the Battle of uh, Uhud. Uh, all of these places, there were instances where the Prophet ﷺ was left alone. There was a, it was almost like a f- fleeing from the battle, right? And the Prophet ﷺ with a handful of his Sahaba were fighting off. But he still survived. Right? There's got to be an element of, of of wonder in that, right? In that if it was anybody else and the mushrikun would number in their hundreds, if not thousands, that surrounded the uh, a group of Muslims, that group of Muslims, whilst putting up a good fight, would probably be overcome. Right? And in any other case as well, you'd probably be overcome if you were just a handful of people uh, in front of tens, if not hundreds, of others. Of course, yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Nothing comes from uh, and Nothing comes by way of the Prophet Except it's through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala But it's the point that, the point that we're making is that It's through the Prophet sallallahu that this happens It's not through any other person right? And that's what gives him sallallahu alayhi wa that maqam right? So subhanallah uh, Yeah And obviously tajim uh, Is uh, uh, to bow down وَلَنْ تَرَى مِنْ وَلِيٍ غَيْرَ مُنْتَصِرٍ بِهِ وَلَا مِنْ عَدُوٍ غَيْرِ مُنْقَصِمٍ That you will not see any friend that isn't victorious through him, nor any opponent not destroyed utterly. So anybody that takes Rasulullah as his ally will be victorious. And anybody that takes Rasulullah as his enemy will ultimately fail. Even if they win a battle, they will ultimately lose the war. Right? Maybe in this world, but in hereafter he can yeah, but even in this world also, yes. even in this world also, they would always lose, they would always lose. Because yes. yeah, the, the resolve of the mu'min uh, is always strong. The only time they will ever win is when are, there is no more iman left in this world. But obviously we know that when there's no more iman left in this world, that is when the sa'a will come. Right? So they might win <laughs> at the end, but they've lost because that's when the, uh, that's when the hour uh, comes. And we know that the hour doesn't fall except on the, the worst of uh, of people. 
So walantara min waliyin ghayra muntasirin. So muntasir is coming from the word nasr. Uh, wali meaning like a, um, an ally, a friend, a guardian. Uh, bihi, with the Prophet وسلم, through the Prophet Wala min aduin, obviously that means an enemy. Ghayra um, munqasimi. Uh, and qasim, meaning that uh, something is um, uh, resorted to rubble. A building that you see, if it if it's crumbled and it resorts to rubble, then that is what we call uh, al qasim. Uh, with a sad, yeah, not qasim, the scene. Ahalla ummatu. Then he goes on to say in one thirty-seven, Ahalla ummatu fi hirzi milletihi kalaythi halla maal ashbali fi ajami. So he mentioned lions before. Uh, now he's going to mention them again here. He says he put his nation to dwell inside the fort of his faith. So the Ummah of, of Islam is protected in a, in a fortress. That fortress isn't made of bricks and mortar. It's not made of soldiers and high walls. Rather, it is made of Iman in a person's heart. That is the true barrier between you and evil. Right? SubhanAllah. You can, you can make hijrah all you want. You can surround yourself with as many people that, are, uh, that you believe to be uh, be good, but if there is no iman here, then there is no protection. Mm? This has to be here. The iman has to be present in the heart in order for the protection to be there. So he, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, has come with this iman, and this iman is the protection that uh, you um, uh, receive in this dunya. And the Prophet is obviously he is the leader. He is the um, uh, uh, the, the leader of all Muslims He's the master of all the Muslims He's the one that we will follow uh, He is the one whose commands are obeyed And for him He is as if He is the uh, uh, the, the lion That is um, He is as if uh, He is the lion that is dwelling with his His cubs Ever protective over them Harisun alaykum bil mu'minina rahim that is the Prophet right? Well, he was concerned of the affairs of the believers, and he was um, uh, um, ever sort of compassionate towards them. Shadidun alayhi ma What the believers had gone through, which is previous to that, right? What the believers have gone through with regards to the difficulties and the challenges, and as a result of their iman. This is shadeed upon the heart of the Prophet and he felt this, and he felt this compassion towards the believers, and he would always be in a state of worry for their well-being and the well-being of their iman and their uh, what's it called the strength of their iman and so on and so forth. So that is like the lion that would look after his his pride, right? Wouldn't allow anything to attack them, anything from any any species, whether that's human or whether that's any other mammal or whether it's any other predator. Right? The lion is going to, going to attack. Then he goes on to say, and he finishes the, the chapter with these two verses. How often the words of Allah uh, refuted the quarrelsome about him, and how often proof defeated the enemy. So uh, here it's almost like it's a shift from the battlefield to... Uh, the more intellectual uh, and spiritual uh, battle with regards to kufr and iman. 
So how many how many times have has the word of Allah subhanahu as the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, defeated those who who uh, who argue against uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that he is not the uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi He doesn't receive revelation rather he is a liar he is a poet he is just a man he is a man who just copied off of the previous religions that came before him and so on and so forth how many times has the Quran proven these people wrong yeah, we can see this in the current affairs of those who wrote the cartoons and all this they all been dead Salman Rushdie and all of them were, where are they mm. yeah yeah, yeah. Because they're not insecure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That too. But here, what he's what he's mentioning here in particular is that there are so many instances in the Quran where it's almost there is a prediction that this is going to happen. If you fight against the Prophet, this is what's going to happen to you. If you go to war here, this is what's going to happen. And even with regards to the believers, right? So, um, uh, right? That the the uh, the the battle of Hunayn, you might have been uh, what's it called uh, large in numbers. But you still received like a, a good beating from your enemy, rather because you thought that the strength of your uh, uh, and your resolve and victory would come through the strength in numbers as opposed to the strength of your iman, right? So even that is like a sort of like the, um, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala describing for the believers uh, what took place and what's going to take place as well. That if you decide to go down this route. With regards to, I need uh, if I have the the uh, all the weapons in the world and I have all the numbers in the world and that's what's going to yeah the asbab. If I focus on the asbab, that's what's going to grant me victory. If you do that, yo muhanain, that's what's going to happen to you. Allah will lead you to the asbab. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, min jadalin fihi, and also obviously in the veracity of the Prophet sallallahu prophethood, he came and he predicted things that were going to happen in the future. Right, room. Right? Um, uh, predicting all these different things that were going to happen in the future. That was the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And there's many ahadith as well to uh, to highlight this. So, but how many times? Revelation, because the, the, yeah. the speech of Allah is speaking to us. It's not within Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that shows you the nasr that comes from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right. There's Past, present, future is with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Do you know what I mean? You can't go wrong with that. So the future, uh, because there are some verses which he says, "Had I known that there is good, I would nothing bad will touch me." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's. You have to take the whole package as a whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's elements of that. Yeah, no, no. I know, I know what you're talking about. But the uh, events of the future that had. Uh, been revealed to the Prophet and by Allah Subhanahu This is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Not like everything in the future. Can let it go back to Allah to prostrate to Him and to ask the Nasra everything because it's Allah that's revealed to Him and He's just explaining to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is so. This that that's 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 the premise. But the way Imam Abu Sayyid is describing that, that's what's important. Right? So he's describing that very thing That this is all coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And there's a massive like, misconception now That whenever we speak like this Or we describe the Prophet to be this way We are somehow taking away The element that it is Allah that has given him all of this stuff But that's not That's, that's, that's a uh, misnomer In our lives Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us everything Right? He's given us our cars He's given us our houses He's given us our food on our plates Even if we buy it from Tesco's Right? He's still, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has still given us all of those things. How has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given us, uh, us all those things? In many, many different ways. Firstly, the origins of where all this stuff comes from. 
that's a no-brainer. But how is it that Allah subhanahu wa has given us this stuff despite us buying it through these merchants and these people like Tesco's and we buy our car from like BMW or we buy our, uh, our homes from like the estate agents and we have like brokers and banks and stuff like that. And where is Allah in all of these transactions? Aren't these human transactions? Aren't we the ones who have instigated all of this stuff, right? But no, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the controller of your heart and the controller of your desires. And he is the one who has uh, predestined your actions and your intentions and what you are going to do in this life, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts in your heart the want and the will to have something. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts in the heart of the one who is selling that thing to sell that to you. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? So this is another type of, that all comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whenever we describe these things though, we never describe them as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sold me this. This came from Allah. We don't do that, right? But even though we recognize that coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Just like that, it's important that when we describe the Prophet wasallam, we have to remember that we're not saying that this is not coming from Allah. Of course it's coming from Allah. But we want to describe it in a certain way so that it has that ta'seed in the heart of the believer. We describe it for what it is, but in the best of ways, in the best of sifat, right? So that it's not just, yeah, he was just a guy, he was just a man. And it came, it came to him and he did all of these things, but he did, everything was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, it's... Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Mm. أو عيسى بن مريم بل قولوا عبد الله ورسوله أستا حديث يعني لا تطروني كما أطرت النصارى do not like um, go overboard in my praise like the uh, what's it called uh, the Nasara did with عيسى بن مريم right what did they do with عيسى بن مريم they made him ثالث ثلاثة they made him ابن الله they made him all of these things right to the point of أولوهية so everything that is to the point of if it's to the point of أولوهية من هي عن but if it is aggrandizing, not to the point of uluhiyya, but it is aggrandizing, no problems. Because the Prophet forbade you from doing what the Nasara did with Isa ibn Maryam with regards to making him an ilah. Not from praising the Prophet From his tawadu', from his humility, he then said to his sahaba, بَلْقُولُوا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُهُ Say, I am a servant of Allah and his messenger. Right? And it's like, that's enough. Just say, it, servant of Allah and his messenger. Don't exceed, don't say more than that. Don't describe, his, uh, don't, don't, describe his, don't describe him as anything else. But this is not the case. This is not what the Prophet is saying. This is from his humility that he's describing him, himself like this, right? And even when he would say anything other than that, he would say, Out of humility, that I am the leader of the, uh, uh, of the children of Adam, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, without any pride, without any arrogance that's associated with it. I'm just letting you guys know, right? But the Sahaba Radwanallah would describe him in beautiful ways, in different ways, in different ways that he described himself. Right? And they wouldn't just stick to Abdullah wa Rasulullah. They would say many other things as well. When they were describing his courage, when they were describing his beauty and his uh, his physical attributes and so on and so forth. They were describing his hair, the way he walked, the way he talked, all of these things, right? So when we uh, what's it called? When we we praise the, it's a it's a misnomer with regards to uh, cautioning cautioning Muslims to be careful. Like be careful when you praise the Prophet be careful. It's like why why are you telling me to be careful, bro? <laughs> like I, I love Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. 
if you are thinking, if you are, uh, if you are, if you are cautioning uh, a Muslim uh, from praising the Prophet sallallahu then you are cautioning him from um, ascribing to him any type of uluhiyah. That's all. Any type of godly characteristics. That's all. Right? Like he is in charge of like the qadr, for example, or he has some sort of ability to create. Yeah, these sorts of things. Right? This is negated from all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, khalq not just the Prophet right? so uh, when it comes to this this is the only cautioning that, that, is, that is required but when it comes to the showing affection and love to the Prophet there is, there is no limit other than that كم جدلت كلمات الله من جدل فيه وكم خصم البرهان من خصم then he goes on to say in the last verse of the chapter in 139 that enough of a proof of his prophethood is or enlightenment in the one unread is wonder enough it is a mu'jiza that he was enlightened even though he was uneducated and uneducated in the sense that he couldn't read or write and it is established that before he received prophethood he wasn't able to read or write right that's established yeah he wasn't able this is a good sifa for him yeah yeah, yeah. for me it could for you would be illiterate as something which is mm. stigma no no it's it's still it's still it's still a stigma even even for for anybody even no, for the even for the this is a, this is itself is a praise yeah on, it's only a praise in that it's associated with revelation yeah, how can someone who is unlettered, who doesn't know the scripture, who doesn't understand like or the, the stories of the pe people of the past, uh, who doesn't have access to those things, how did he receive that when he doesn't have the scripture available for him to read? Right? How did he receive that? And he still received it nonetheless. That is the amazement. So it's a praise in and of that it is in the, um, uh, the context of revelation that it is praiseworthy to be ummi. But it's not praiseworthy to be ummi. Right? Thus, even after the Prophet's like, revelation, it's disputed whether he remained Ummi or not. Right? So don't they don't say that he was Ummi afterwards. They say that he was Ummi before. Right? Um, and there's evidences like in the Ahadith uh, uh, with regards to when letters were written, when ayat were written, um, uh, he would correct uh, certain writings and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, obviously when he said uh, uh, when Hadith Nabi and he said don't say, say this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Change the words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, So, it is enough as a proof or a wonder uh, that he received enlightenment, although he was unread, uh, in an age of darkness, right? In a place, in a time where, uh, in a time and in a place where knowledge wasn't abundant. Right. You had to, yeah. You had to, you had to travel far in order to acquire this sort of stuff, right? And to uh, to, to to meet enlightened people. Uh, and a good upbringing in orphancy. Ah, وفي الجاهلية والتأديب في اليوتومي, right? And um, uh, being uh, well mannered in in orphancy, right? That's enough of as a proof. And what you're saying here is that when you don't have the tarbiyah of your mother and father, you are more likely to have behavioral issues right and this is this is proven even today right single parenting and stuff like that orphans and stuff like that they have like you know 
tendencies and issues with regards to their behavior in school, especially they struggle with regards to their classmates and so on and so forth. So this is like, well, no, this is like an established fact. We don't need to sort of go into it uh, uh, in too much detail. But the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, and this is in now, right, when you have like society around you, you have like technology around you, you have school systems and so on and so forth, in order to assist, you know, a child in their development and their behavioral development and their cognitive development, right? But you go back to the time of the Prophet ﷺ, what do they have? So a team back then, and obviously a team back then would, would, would struggle to, to find acceptance. They wouldn't find acceptance in the house that they are orphaned in because they are not like, you know, blood, uh, blood children, right? Uh, from the mother and father. Uh, it would be difficult for them to be accepted in society and wider society because they don't have the same connections that their father and mother would have in order to allow them to be able to, to, to find work and to progress in society and to find sort of like a, uh, a stable, uh, a stable like space and place, right, for them. Um, and so on and so forth. But despite that, the Prophet Sallallahu had characteristics and noble characteristics at that. That he, he, was, uh, he was generous, he was kind, he was understanding, he listened to those who spoke to him. Right? He, he obeyed those who were uh, uh, sort of uh, those who instructed him. Uh, he was in the service of others and so on and so forth. All of these characteristics, this was all before prophethood as well. Right? And there was very few people to teach him this as well. Right? Uh, around them, there was, lots, there was lots of malahi going on, people just like, you know, um, <coughs> uh, people idolatrous in their nature who had conflicting priorities to the priorities of the Prophet ﷺ, in that their main priority was for them to entertain themselves, to have the pleasures of this world, to drink wine and recite poetry on, uh, over the fireplace and speak about how great their tribe was and how amazing their people are and what they've accomplished in life and so on and so forth and tafakhur and takathur bainahum, right? So this was the uh, sort of the, the societal values that they had. This was what, how they measured each other's like, you know, um, status. Uh, who was better than be, better than the other, and amongst this like sort of this atmosphere and you know um, uh, these sorts of like uh, circumstances came the Prophet sallallahu with manners that were unmatched in his people. Nobody else was a sadiq al amin, right? Nobody else was given that title. <coughs> they would trust the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam with their secrets, with their responsibilities. They knew that if the, uh, if the Prophet ﷺ was delegated a task, he would complete that task, and there were no questions asked, right? Uh, they could trust uh, the Prophet ﷺ with their money. Uh, Khadija radiallahu anha only married the Prophet ﷺ because of these characteristics that he had, and she tested him in them as well, and he passed all of those tests. The uh, placement of the black stone uh, in the Kaaba, that's a, a very famous story, right? And there were all of them, yeah, this is all prior to prophethood, and they were all of them pleased with the Prophet as well, unanimously. Even though they were, they were good people from each each tribe, but nobody was happy with any one of those good people from each other's tribes, except the Prophet Right. So this shows that even in a in an age of darkness where you don't have this tarbiyah, and if you don't have like the 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 support of your family around you, you're going to struggle, right? Despite that, the Prophet didn't have that coarseness to him that you would find in a person who doesn't have the tarbiyah of his mother and father. You know what I'm saying? So that is a, that's an amazing, amazing element of his character as well. And that's obviously another sort of sign of his wonder. His parents were passed away. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mother and father. Mother and father, yeah. Like we, we can see Bukhari, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
because they had one of their parents at least, you know, mother plays an important role in nurturing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But this is alhamdulillah, like obviously these imma that you that you mentioned now, uh, the likes of Yonah Shafi'i and others, they were all born in a society that had Islam now adopted in them. So they had the characteristics of looking after the yatim and the miskeen, right, and the faqir. Yeah, and they, there was a massive sort of like, uh, uh, they used to divert a lot of attention to these people in order to help them. So they received financial help, they received tarbiyah, they received education, they received, they received, they received. Whereas in Jahiliya, this wasn't the case. There wasn't a priority for the, the, the yatim. Rather, the yatim had to fight, you know, tooth and nail in order to, to you know, achieve something in life. And this sort of like fighting tooth and nail, it nurtures in you a characteristic of like sort of harshness and coarseness and you know you're very uh, very abrupt very direct you don't sort of like you're not there to like listen there's no like sort of the ratha and rahma in you you know if someone wrongs you then it's just straight away cut off do you know what I mean and the Prophet didn't have this about him right despite yeah subhanallah <laughs> And this is all shahadat from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right. What is there from Madh after these ayat? Okay, um, and now we are on chapter 9, the redemption through the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We'll go through this inshaAllah ta'ala next week. Bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Jazakumullah khairah everyone at home uh, for tuning in. Barakallahu feekum for the uh, humble brothers uh, to spend some time with me, mashallah, and go through this. And for the cameos of Abu Salman. بارك الله فيك جزاك الله خير ربنا تقبل منا انك انت السميع العليم وتب علينا انك انت التواب الرحيم برحمتك يا رحمن الرحيم اللهم وفقنا لكل عمل تحبه وترضاه يا اكرم الاكرمين اللهم علمنا ما اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما يا رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد ان لا اله الا انت نستغفرك ونتوب اليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر ان الانسان لفي خسر الا الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر امين يا رب العالمين جزاكم الله خيرا والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته